Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 132. And I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me again today in this first episode of the Midweek Classic here that we are now doing for two shows a week on the Everything College Basketball Podcast is my teammates, Peyton Burton, Corey Gardner. And fellas, before you say anything else, I just want to let you guys know this and the whole world know. If there are 25 to 30 podcasters better than us, I'll kiss your ass. You son of a bitch. That's exactly what I was getting to fucking do. Oh, I'm so mad. I had a plan. You fucking asshole. Wow. Uh, I agree, though. Like, man. Yeah, I agree, great though. True statement. Like. Hey, the what story of Peyton Burton always finishing in last. Uh, what a great comment from IU's associate head coach uh, last night after their win against Minnesota on Wednesday evening. We'll get into the IU game, uh, wild and crazy one. It's always hard to win in the barn. We'll get into all that and more in this midweek episode. But before we do, as always, guys, this podcast is presented by a house enterprise and in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com for more information. And as always, Proud to let you guys know our title sponsor of ECB this year is Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. It's a healthy juice bar. Stop in, tell them the ECB sent you for 10% off your entire purchase. Go get you a healthy, uh, skinny shot boosted tea. Go get yourself a nice protein coffee. Tell them ECB sent you for 10% off. If you are in or located near the downtown Edinburgh, Indiana, Great people to do business with. Happy to have them on board this year for everything college basketball. Um, it is nice to do a midweek episode. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we mentioned it on episode 131 this last weekend that we will start doing two a week here. And it is nice because now we can lock in solely on certain topics and give a little more love to other things um, as opposed to trying to cover a whole landscape based in a week. We have titled this one, obviously, Trouble and Lawrence. We're going to talk all about the Kansas Jayhawks. We got a lot to get into, but I do want to open this show up. We kind of poked fun a little bit at the Indiana, uh, the associate head coach, his quote, very quotable, the Indiana game we will get into. But guys, I do want to start this show off talking Trace Jackson Davis. I put it on our Twitter, at ECB Podcast 10, and brought up the question that's got good feedback asking in your mind what would it take for Trace Jackson Davis to catch up to Zach Eady in the player of the year race because make no mistake I think we all agree that it is Zach Eady's currently and then there's a big gap to second place but in the last couple weeks Trace Jackson Davis in my mind has caught up to Jalen Wilson and passed him for second place with his performances so I will ask you guys your thoughts on the player of the year race and what, in your mind, would Trace Jackson Davis have to do to catch or to catch and even pass Zach Eady to win the award at the end of the year? Go ahead, Coy. Yeah, in my opinion, I think he just needs to continue out and just show that he's at this level continuously. I think uh, I think the next few matchups against Maryland, he's gonna have to ball out. 
uh, against Ohio State on Saturday and then going into the big matchup on February 4th that everybody's really anticipating. I think to that head-to-head matchup uh, of that one and then the next uh, one at the end of February going to really decide that race uh, for overall well, he- for the Big Ten. Well, I, I was going to say to your point, uh, some of our responses seem to have the, the same flavor. Our boy Johnny Stroud um, said it's he's getting closer to it. The head-to-head twice still to come might be the deciding factor. Um, at Big Bag Getta 2 said the head-to-head to match up, really the only thing he can do. Shout out our guy John Al- um, Alden, the guy you hear in the voiceover in the intro here. He says be the better player when they face off against each other, simple as that. Um, at JBR Bracketology says Edie would need to get hurt slash miss games. I think team success plays a role too. Really need to see IU cement itself as a top three team and big team and for or big 10 and for Purdue to slide a bit. He also posted the odds currently out in Vegas. Um, our, our guy, Tony Patel said a miracle. And then there's other comments, but it, Peyton, it seems to be the common thread. Trace continued doing what he does. And then when they match up head to head twice outperform Zach Edie. I think he needs, not only does he need to outperform him, but I think they need at least one one of those games, preferably the one in Simmer Hall. Because if he goes, if he has a game in Simmer Hall where he goes for like 30 and 15, and Zach Eady only goes for like 15 and 12, 15 and 10, even 15 and 15, uh, but Purdue still wins, and I think I still get the edge to Zach Eady for playing the U.S. As far as him catching up to Zach Eady, um, he's up to fourth now on my list. I still have uh, guys like Brandon Miller and Jalen Wilson ahead of him. Uh, and obviously, Zach Eady's number one. But I think he's getting close. There's still a lot of seasons. There's still two months left in the season, and he definitely could catch up to potentially uh, be second place or even maybe even overtake Zach Eady in the play of the year race. But still a lot of games to be played. And let's not forget, I mean, he's played well to start this season, but he's having the two, his last seven games, listen to this stat. His last seven games, TJD has averaged 25 points, 15 rebounds, Four and a half assists and four and a half blocks in his last seven games. Incredible stat. He needs to keep it up, though. An insane stat. And I think a lot of IU's reemergence after their three-game losing streak is on his shoulders. He is, ever since that fan, and I use fan with air quotes for us, those watching live with us on the Facebook, YouTube, and the Twitter, um, I use air quotes because remember a couple weeks ago that quote-unquote fan wrote him this nasty letter, blah, blah, blah. Ever since that letter... Trace Jackson Davis has been on another level, arguably the best player in college basketball in the last couple of weeks. Um, and, and his numbers, you just reel them off. They, they speak for themselves. It, it's very interesting. So real quick, I do want to hear you guys as player of the year race. If you had to name a top four or top five of Zach Eady, obviously number one, it is his to lose. We mentioned that. I personally think Trace, for the moment, has passed Jalen Wilson for number two, which would put Purdue and Indiana as the number one and number two candidates, which I don't know if that's ever happened. Um, so I want to hear the rest of your list. Jalen Wilson's on there, Brandon Miller, Drew Timmy. Is that kind of your guys' top five? Uh, my top five is Zach Eady, one, Jalen Wilson, two, Brandon Miller, three, TJD, four, and Bryce Hopkins, five, fifth. Say the only one that I have different is I have uh, I have Edie as one, uh, Jalen Wilson two, TJD three, uh, and then uh, followed by Miller, and then you said it, Timmy. I think Timmy just is you know a dominant uh, college player out on the West Coast. I think you know he's done a lot to uh, be in that conversation still. 
Yeah, it's an interesting race. And uh, if Trace can continue to put up numbers like he has been lately, man, it's going to be a hell of a, a battle down the end. I cannot wait till we get to that first Purdue-Indiana matchup in a couple weeks to dive into that full force and break down the individual matchups that it's going to win or lose that game. Let's put it this way. Indiana has as great a shot as anybody to knock Purdue off, but Purdue also has a real good shot of making another big win over Indiana. I cannot wait to get into those games. But let's start off. When we recorded on Sunday, we previewed a lot of the games coming up this week. There's been some big ones and some very interesting ones. Let's talk about the first one on Monday, this past Monday night, a few nights ago. Let's go to the Big 12. By the way, Peyton, let's talk Big 12 real quick. Because you look at that conference, we've talked about it for the last couple months, that it's the best conference in college basketball. And you look at the conference race right now, there's a three-way tie for first. You have three teams in Kansas State, Iowa State, and Texas at six and two. And you have three teams tied for second at five and three with being Kansas. um, Who's the other two? I just lost track. Kansas, Baylor, and... Kansas State. uh, TCU. TCU, thank you. I can't believe I forgot that. But basically, one game separates the top six in this conference. Peyton, speak on the Big 12 for a second. It's crazy. Uh, Texas Tech is dead last in the conference, and they're 0-8. They're 10-10 overall. No team inside the Big 12 has a losing record, um, which is just saying a lot about how tough this conference is. Because every night, it's I mean, it's murder as well. Every night, I said it last, I said it on Sunday, you got to play your best every night. Because if you don't, you're going to get knocked off. doesn't matter if you're at your, your place, or if it's a home game, if it's a road game, neutral site, whatever it is. got to be at your best, because if not, you're going to get beat. And it just shows. I mean, three teams right now are tied for first place, sitting at 6-2. and two, And then right after that, there's three teams that are tied for second. Or three teams that's 5-3. and three. It's ridiculous. I mean, you still got teams like fucking Oklahoma State's 3-5. and five. Bob Huggins, West Virginia squad, who's still talented, 12-8 and overall. It's 2-6. Oklahoma's 2-6. and six. This conference is tough, and you got to play well every night. If not, you're going to get beat. And I just witnessed fucking... Rodrigo equalizing the Madrid Derby, and I just lost my effing mind. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see my reaction to this beauty. Shook the whole team and scored the outside of the foot goal to tie it up. But, yeah, Big 12's tough this year, man. It's brutal, Corey. Uh, your thoughts on the top six teams just being one game separating all six of them? Well, and Peyton kind of touched on it. It's like no matter if you're at home or on the road, it's like, you know, out of the top six, every single team has a winning record on the road as well, except for the overall leader, Iowa State. And it's like, no matter what, you have to bring your best because it's no matter if you're home or away, somebody's going to compete and potentially knock you off. So, I mean, the conference, the top six are unreal. And, I mean, overall, you know, all the way through it has a ton of talent, has has somebody that's going to come out and compete. And it's like, it's amazing that Texas Tech is a team at the bottom of 0-8 because, I mean, they've, they've still been in so many games. Well, even look at a team like uh, Oklahoma State. They're three and five, but they just knocked off Iowa State. We talked about it on episode 131 on Sunday. They they beat Iowa State at home, and they were in the Kansas game, and then they were in other games. Like, it, there's not an easy win in this conference, and Peyton mentioned it, I think it was last week on the show. It is a murder's row in this conference. So let's just assume the top six have enough ground over a team like Oklahoma State or West Virginia, and this is going to be the top six in whatever order. As we sit here on January 26th, with still half the conference play left to be had in the Big 12, predict to me that how the top six finishes in this conference. Let's go one to six here. 
Corey, we'll start with you. I don't know if I even want to. I mean, it's yeah, that's tough. That's fucking depending that's on tough. the day. I mean, I, I still think Kansas State, you know, is going to eventually kind of separate themselves and take an overall number one, in my opinion. I think they're they're still the, the top team. Um, after that, it's man, it's a toss up. I think I think Kansas is going to finally start clicking a little bit. I just don't know if they have the overall size to compete with some of the others. I think TCU is going to stay up there. Uh, in Texas, I I don't know. I mean, man, it's like I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go TCU two, Texas three, uh, Kansas four. No, I forgot about Baylor. Man, man, this is hard. Yeah, it's like so if Baylor, here, here, I'll, if I'll Baylor plays like they do, I mean, they have the best backcourt. I mean, they're unreal. Like, well, he, that's a great point, and we're gonna segue. But I'll give you mine real quick, and maybe it'll help you guys. The way they are playing. This Baylor team, after struggling a little bit early on, they have hit their stride. And we're going to talk about this Kansas win in just a minute. But the way Baylor's playing, and we've Peyton, we've had this saying for the last couple of years now, you don't doubt Scott Drew. And the way Baylor is playing right now, the number two offense in America, the defense is better, I think, on, on the floor than what it's representing the analytics because they're 90th in defense on Ken Palm for adjusted efficiency. But I feel like on-floor product right now is a lot better. I think Baylor is going to do enough to win the conference now. I'm going Baylor 1. I think K-State 2. I like Texas 3. Iowa State 4. Kansas 5. TCU 6. And that's not a knock to any of them. And in any order, I you heard me say Kansas 5. That doesn't mean I think Kansas is bad. I just think the Big 12 is brutal. And I think a game is going to separate your place in the pecking order. So I've got Baylor end up winning this conference. I love the way they're playing right now. Uh, your guys' thoughts on that real quick before we move on. Go ahead, Ben. Um, I think Baylor is playing really fucking well right now. I mean, Corey mentioned it. They probably have one of the – in my eyes, they got a top three backcourt in the country. And I said that when the season started, that they had the best. You can say Houston. You say other teams. Even like Texas has a great backcourt. But Baylor's, I mean – if one of them, if Keontae George is not having a good night, you can always try, trust in your experienced players, Flagler and Quiet to have a good night. Um, very curious if they get uh, Jonathan Charmway Trotula back, if he's going to be healthy enough to play. I heard Scott Drew talk about it on Field of 68. Like, there's a potential chance he could come back, and if they do that, if he does come back, and if he's either 80% of what he was, that's still pretty damn good. He's a good defender and be able to lock up the paint. But. As far as like the Big Twelve rankings, um, I'm biased. Of course, I'm gonna say Kansas one. Uh, I'm gonna go Baylor two, and then after that, I think it's gonna be interesting because Iowa State, man, they're. I watched that game against Kansas State, and they're fucking dogs. They got a bunch of dogs on that team, and Iowa State ended up pulling a close one against Kansas State, but. It's tough, man. You can go either way you want to. You can say Kansas is fifth. You can say Kansas wins the damn league. You can say a team like Oklahoma State fucking gets hot and somehow gets up there and wins the fucking league. Who knows? It's difficult. Yeah, and, and I'm with you on that. But let's move to the Baylor game since we've been talking about the Baylor Bears. We alluded to it and previewed it on uh, episode 131. Let's go back to Monday night. Kansas coming off of a, a week where they lose two in a row. Very unusual under the Bill Self era in which Kansas loses back-to-back games. They had a tough one. We talked about it. Paylor, or Peyton dropped a great line with the Kansas Hour Kansas in reference to Baylor's week. Baylor holds home court, beats the Jayhawks to drop them. The three straight losses in a row, 75-69. Peyton, your immediate takeaway from the another Kansas loss. 
If Baylor hits shots, their Final Four good. Their national if, championship good. If they, if uh, they hit, the thing is, like, they didn't even hit shots. They went 9 of 30 from the three-point line, 30%. Um, definitely not the fucking greatest, but they hit enough shots to where it felt like they hit, like, 15-plus in this game. They're Peyton, that damn good. Peyton, I put on our Twitter during the middle of the game, I said when Baylor was rolling in this game at one point, I said, if Baylor, or I'm sorry, I said Baylor is cutting the nets down good right now. Like, they can forget just the Final Four. They're playing well enough at a high enough level. They can win the whole damn thing again. And I mentioned, <coughs> excuse me, I mentioned earlier, Keontae George is like, if he doesn't have a good game, which he didn't, he went two, he had eight points, two eleven for the field, 0-5 for the three-point line. He was in foul trouble, he had four fouls, but you don't necessarily need him to go and have a fucking good game because you still got Flagler and you still got Cryer. Cryer had 22 points, majority of these came in the first half. He was hot in the first half. In the second half, Flagler and Lason Love gave him some solid minutes. Jalen Bridges gave him some solid minutes. Solid minutes. But for those guys, had 11 points apiece. That's 20 two points for those guys. Um, nine rebounds for Bridges as well. They got enough talent. Defensively, I still think they need to get better guarding the perimeter. But if they hit 10 plus threes a game, I still think, I think they can get to the Final Four. I absolutely do because they have that experience like the backcourt you mentioned. But Corey, do not undersell the value of a guy like Flo Thamba, the six foot 10 inch senior. You know, his stat line's not going to be that impressive most nights. Four points in this game, two rebounds, but his big ass being at 6'10 and an experienced guy, helping out on the defensive side, talking, helping his uh, guard teammates through screens, helping be a big body to frustrate, especially a smaller Kansas team. He he is such a huge piece, even if it doesn't show on the box score. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, he, he you know, just automatically being in the, the paint – eliminating kind of the pick and roll action or the getting downhill. I mean, affecting shots and, you know, dictating, you know, kickouts, things like that. I mean, also forcing tough matchups on, you know, guys trying to post up. I mean, he doesn't have to necessarily have the stat line to show it, but just his overall presence down in the paint is something that's tremendous for Baylor right now. I mean, the guards are getting it done and with him down low, I mean, they are absolutely dangerous. And we'll click on Kansas. Um, we talked about Sunday, about Dewan Harris not being aggressive enough, not looking to score. First possession of this game, Dewan Harris has a wide-open layup. He passes it, turns the ball over. First possession of the game. He had four turnovers, two points, one of five from the field. Um, four, he had four, four assists, four turnovers. Not sure what's going on. I think he's trying to do too much. He needs to look to score the ball and stop turning the damn ball over so damn much. But Grady Dick played great. He had one of his best games as he's had so far this season. 24 points, 8 of 13 from the field. Uh, he's doing, he was hitting some shots. He was also Quick driving release. the lane. Quick oh, yeah. Too. He was driving the lane. He got caught up in some um, mismatches on defensive, got some fouls, had three fouls in foul trouble, especially early on in the first half. But Joe Wilson had another good game, 10 of 16 from the field, 23 points. McCullough had a double-double, 14 of 12. And Kansas was down pretty much this whole game until like under 16 minutes to go in the second half when we finally took the lead and went up 146-45. And then I swear to God, they had like, Bale had like five eight ones in this or on us in that second half and they just stretched it and we can never get it really so close I, enough to make a single I, possession. I want to ask you though, is that frust like how frustrating is that from a Kansas perspective that – you're arguably your two best players, Wilson 23, Dick has a good game at 24 points. You hit every free throw you took, 16 of 16 from the foul line. 
but your best two players go off for 20 plus, but you get absolutely nothing from basically everybody else and lose this game. What more can you do? Obviously, you'd need a guy like Dewan Harris to be aggressive and score the basketball. But man, what else do you need from this team? And second part, you know, you've seen a lot of Kansas fans frustrated on Twitter on Monday evening about the lack of size. You guys got destroyed in points in the paint. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Um, it's definitely frustrating, uh, especially a lot of those and ones. I mentioned to it in the group or in our little group chat. Like every time they drive the lane, fucking the West would just call a foul on us. And uh, whether it's a foul or not, they just call everything on us. Um, and a lot of those and ones I didn't think was deserved. But we have to take care of the ball. I mean, 15 turnovers. They had Baylor had 19 points coming off turnovers. Um, it's difficult. Were undersized, and you talk about the points in the paint. Kansas actually didn't do too bad. Uh, 28 points in the paint. I mean, that's not good, but that's not terrible either. Baylor actually only had 18 points in the paint, so we actually outscored them in the paint. Um, but okay, so we got we got to take care of the ball. Let, let, let me refine that. Okay, I I misspoke as far as like points in the paint, but what I mean is Baylor got to the paint anytime they wanted because Kansas oh, does not have a rim protector like normal. Let yeah. me rephrase that. Yeah. Baylor got to the paint anytime they wanted. Basically, every, pos- every possession, every possession, and, they got at least two feet in the paint. And I, we'll get to the Kentucky game, but I know a lot of Kansas fans are like, "If Baylor's doing this to us, what do you think Oscar's going to do?" Um, Kansas now lost three in a row. Peyton, is it panic time in Jayhawk Nation? No, no, I don't it's think a it tough is. stretch. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough stretch. I mean, look at who we played so far. I mean, name we we had. Uh, let's see, who did we play? We played Kansas State. We played TCU. Bay, TCU. We played Baylor. That's three top five opponent or top twenty five yeah, opponents. But right it there. doesn't get any easier for you guys though. Can, no, it, like you no, guys no. Kentucky and then Kansas State. Like it's it's getting to the and point. Then, and, then and then Iowa State, State and, Texas. and then at home at Texas. Like it is getting to the point where you guys are either you know start playing better. You guys are going to get ran to the bottom half of the league. I mean. Uh, I don't. I disagree on that. Cause Pitt, any Pitt, Houston in this fucking conference. Pitt, whoever in this stretch, guarantee they do probably the same thing we're doing. They, I guarantee they don't come out fucking with more wins than they do losses. Guarantee fucking to it. Well, no, and I think there's agreement to that too. But I do think there is something with the way Kansas is playing. I don't necessarily think it's the teams and the result. It's just the way that they are playing. Like you get a, you get these performances. It's it's not atypical Kansas. Like, this is not, and it does not get easier. I mean, I think what Corey's trying to say is, on paper, if they continue to play at this level, there's a real chance, and I don't think it'll happen, but there is a real chance things could go real bad in a hurry. You're already at three losses. Say you lose the next four. That's a seven-game losing streak. There's a real chance of a dick down in Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but I do think there is some cause for concern that they have to get the ship righted, and there's a good opportunity Saturday we will get to that. Speaking of their opponent, Saturday real quick. Kentucky, they're on the flip side right now. They had won three in a row coming into Tuesday night. We talked about it. You know, Vandy's a tough place to play at, regardless how good or bad they are because of the floor and everything else that goes into it. This was the most complete Kentucky game I've seen all year. Don't care about North Florida. Don't care about South Carolina State. From top to bottom, this is the best Kentucky performance of the year. The basketball Benny lineup continued to play well. Um, and then how good is it for Xavier Wheeler? He comes in, spells Kaysan Wallace. The speed and the tempo picks up. He makes good decisions. He made the right plays. He had a good game. And he also, to be fair, 
was involved with the basketball Benny lineup where he had shooters around. So it helped him out a lot. You know, Savir played uh, what 22 minutes in this game. He only had four points, but he had five assists in this ball game, made the right decision, had a steal. He looked good in this game. Oscar goes for 15 and 13, typical Oscar night. Jacob Toppin, double figures. Kaysan Wallace, double figures. CJ Frederick, double figures. Antonio Reeves continues his hot shooting. He it feels like every shot he takes now is a make. He had 16 points, two of five from the three-point line. This team, the ball was hopping. It was moving. Constant motion in the offense. It never stuck really to one player's hands. Defensively, they were connected. Uh, Vandy only went six of 17 from the three-point line. Shot 31% from the field. And Kentucky did this only shooting two free throws in this ballgame. This Kentucky team, through the last four games on the four-game win streak, looks like a completely different team from the team that we saw lose to South Carolina at Rupp. Guys, real quick, talk about it, and then I've got a quote from Savory Wheeler after the game I want to describe. Well, looking at the stat line here, this is for a certain tall heel in the back who wants to talk shit about Kentucky and their three-point rating. Uh, 38% from the three-point line, 6 of 16 from the three-point line. Um, very impressive, very good stat. Kentucky was hitting some shots. Very solid performance. You mentioned the double-double Oscar Sheeble had. Uh, Jacob Toppin also had a double-double, 12 points, 10 boards. Uh, you had five guys... Yeah, five guys scoring double figures um, in this game. Antonio Leaves came off the bench, did what he did, 16 points. And you mentioned Severe. I mean, he only had four points, but he had five assists. He took care of the ball. He, I mean, he had a couple turnovers, but you're bound to turn over the ball here, here and there, especially on the road. Um, played 22 minutes. Defensively, I thought he was pretty solid. And uh, Kentucky's definitely looked better. The fact that they only shot two free throws and still won this game by fucking 16 points is just ridiculous. And Kentucky, I mentioned it last week, or I mentioned it Sunday. They're starting to turn the corner. I don't know if they fully turned their whole season around. We'll see uh, in Wapalina what they do against Kansas coming in. Um, but they're heading into the right direction. No, you kind of mentioned it. And it's like, you know, the, the craziest thing is, is, you know, Vanderbilt turned the ball over four times. And Kentucky still flew around, defended the ball extremely well, forced, forced them to shoot, you know, poor from the field. I mean... Uh, and Kentucky shot lights out. I mean, the fact they were 56% and, you know, even, even though 38% from three, I mean, but no, I think Wheeler was a big difference maker here. I mean, five assists, moving the ball around overall, just kind of directing the offense and he took care of it. I mean, five, five assists on two turnovers, you know, is something to be had. Um, you know, I, th I think, I think that there's a full foot around the corner now for Kentucky. I think Saturday will really decide even more. And guys have defined their roles. They're playing harder. The ball's moving. And guys define their roles. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And speaking of Savir, it's not been easy. I know it's not been easy on him to go from playing 35 minutes a game to barely playing at all. And that's why everybody's been really happy for him. Plus, he got to play with the good lineup. He didn't get stuck with Lance Ware and Oscar and guys who can't shoot. He got to play with the good lineup, and it showed what he can do. And we've said last week, Savier's needs to be on this team and play some because he's going to be invaluable. Real quick, Savier said after the game, uh, this is Savier Wheeler on accepting his role now. Those guys, and this is a direct quote, quote by the way, those guys who've been playing the past couple of games are the guys who've been winning games. That's the group that went and popped Tennessee. At the end of the day, we're good at Kentucky, or we're at Kentucky. I'm playing with some really good players. Sometimes that's okay. You got to learn to live with that and learn to grow from it and be mature about it because those guys deserve to play as much as anybody else. Those guys are fighting in practice, working their tails off, paying attention to details. They deserve that. 
today it was just my turn to kind of give us some energy. I did that, but you got to give all the credit to the guys or to these guys because they were the ones who were in there when I wasn't. What a mature, even if it hurts him deep inside, what a mature, great thing to say from Savvy Wheeler. And I think quotes like that are exactly why Kentucky has turned the corner. Um, let's go to the Xavier game. Xavier sweeps UConn. They go into stores, Connecticut, to the Ga- the Gamble Pavilion, beat UConn in a really good game, 82-79. Fellas, UConn a month and a half ago looked like one of the best teams in the country, unbeaten, beating everybody by double figures. Their defense looked like the best in America. And since then, they have kind of fallen off of a cliff. They've got six losses now. I think they've lost six of the last seven or eight games. They have kind of taken a nosedive, but Xavier's shot up and the best team in the Big East. Your guys' immediate thoughts on this game from last night. I thought Connecticut actually looked pretty impressive, despite only losing by three. But we gotta keep in yeah, we gotta keep in mind. Fifteen and fought back. Yeah, they were down. The largest deficit was seventeen points. Second half or eighteen twenty-two to go. Thirty-five eighteen. They was down, and they fought back. They scratch. Oh, that's what I meant. Uh, they scratched and clawed their way back, and ended up making this a close game and had a chance to win it. Um, it's it's just, it's just a guard play. I mean, Jordan Hawkins had twenty-eight points. 28 points. He played amazing. Uh, he ended up fouling out, but he still played really good. Tristan Newton, he had, even though he had 23 points, this dude had five turnovers. You got, if you're the starting point guard, you got to take care of the ball. We mentioned, we just mentioned Sevilla Wheeler, how he had like five assists, but only a couple turnovers. This dude had five turnovers with only four assists. He has more turnovers than he did assists. And you're the starting point guard. That can't happen. The guard play has to be better than that. But Xavier, I mean, Sully Boom, Colby Jones, Kunkel. This team's so fun to watch. The offensively, they're just so great. They put up numbers. And um, it's crazy to say that a Sean Miller coach team is better offensively than they are defensively. Uh, it's crazy to say, but hell of a win for Xavier. And uh, I'm pretty sure we all called this. Yeah, and they're down to the – you see only seven guys played, but they all played big minutes, twenty at least 20 minutes. Uh, Desmond Claude, the freshman, played 20 minutes. They, he's got his rotation down, Corey. They are playing lights out. Sully Boom is going to turn out to be one of the best, if not the best, transfers in America this year. 21 points to lead the Musketeers yes, or last night. What a game. Xavier is the best team in the Big East, leading the Big East Conference right now. And I think Xavier, the way they're playing, Peyton mentioned their backcourt. They've got two studs in the front court. Xavier win the right matchups if they can continue to stay hot. This is a Xavier team that could be outside Final Four good. No, 100%. I mean, they're getting to the point where they're getting really dangerous. I mean, they're they're firing on all cylinders. I mean, the, I think UConn played their best game that they've played in a while, and they still couldn't get a single lead. I mean, they didn't have a lead the entire game. I mean, yeah, they battled back after being down 17, but it's like, I mean, Xavier from, you know, front court to back court, I mean, they're firing on all cylinders. Um, and, it's I mean, they're going to be exciting to watch as they can come down the final stretch of the last month and a half of the season going into the conference tournament. I think they make a run when it comes to March Madness time for sure. And you look at, we remember when Connecticut started to lose, when they actually lost to Xavier for the first time, then turned around and followed up with the loss to Providence. We mentioned that Connecticut kind of fell in love with the three-point shot. Um, they went, they did hit 10 in this ball game last night, but they took 28. Um, and I know it's a good little trade-off, 10 of 28 is not terrible. But you go back to their losses. They're shooting a shit ton of threes right now. And uh, they're hitting 35%, which is average. They're 103 in the nation in that aspect. But, yeah, I just uh, – they've kind of just fallen off the cliff, basically. 
<laughs> like they've got two wins in the stretch. They beat Creighton at home and then they blew out Butler on Sunday. Where does Connecticut go from here? They do have a, a chance to get right. Their next two, they've got DePaul and Georgetown away. By the way, they shout out Georgetown. Broke that 34 game winless streak against other power five or power six schools, 29 straight Big East losses. They broke that the other night, beating Georgetown or DePaul, should I say. So shout out Georgetown, but Connecticut. They've got DePaul, Georgetown coming up, and then the schedule gets hard again. Marquette home at Creighton in the return leg, Seton Hall, Providence, St. John's, and in with DePaul and Villanova. Um, what do we make of Connecticut the rest of the way? You kind of mentioned it. I mean, the biggest thing was in the two games they won, they limited the three-point line or the three-point shots and, you know, and spread the ball around, kind of got into the paint, did some other things. And, you know, they kind of they kind of used what they had against Butler to be, you know, kind of dominate that game. It's like they almost need to get back to that kind of basketball that they showed early on and get away from falling in love and being a stationary offense that's, you know, trying to, you know, force up a lot of shots from outside the three-point line. Um you know, like you said, there's a couple games that they that they need to really make a statement and kind of build some confidence on. But I mean, Marquette's is as tough as anybody in the conference right now as well. I mean, it just doesn't get any easier for them after those couple games, and they really need to separate themselves. No, they don't. But I tell you, another team we mentioned, Kentucky's on a four-game win streak and got and has gotten hot at the right time. Another team that's gotten hot, Corey, or your Indiana Hoosiers, coming off three straight losses themselves. Kind of the situation Kansas is in right now. They lost to Iowa after being up twenty-one. They lose the Northwestern at home. They take the loss to Penn State, where they just got ran out the gym. Since then, they've beaten Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan State, Minnesota. The most recent one was last night in the barn. Playing a Minnesota team that's struggling at the bottom of the conference. They were down to only eight players. Their two of their better players, especially their best big man, Dawson Garcia, was out with or out for this game. On paper, Indiana should have blown Minnesota out. But again, it's at the barn. It's a tough environment to play in with the elevator floor and everything that goes into it. Indiana jumps out to a lead, blows the lead. And then everything they possibly could to lose this game. And I think in years past, they would have lost this game. But there's something different about this Indiana team now. They've got Race Thompson back. They made some key plays down the stretch against the 2-3 zone of Minnesota. Trace Jackson Davis, we talked about him at the top of the show. Unbelievable in this game. Unbelievable. Crazy stat line from Trace Jackson Davis. He finishes with 25 points. Uh, 18 re or sorry, I'm sorry, 21 rebounds and six blocks, especially down the stretch. Corey, talk about your Hoosiers, uh, almost blowing the lead and then with the resolve to come back and win a game like this to move the win streak to four in a row. Yeah, I mean, definitely Minnesota, all credit to them. They came out and I mean, they battled their you know rear end off, but they did everything they could to win this game. Uh, they hit a couple shots when they needed to. I mean, they still only shot 25% from three or 20% from three, I think it was. Yeah, five of 25. And I mean, but it was like when they needed a big shot, they hit it or they got into the paint. And I mean, I don't know. The refs, in my opinion, weren't the best. I mean, they, I thought there was a lot of foul calls that, you know, guys are off balance, falling off uh, and kind of, you know, on their way to a, a travel situation or something happening. And they got bailed out with a foul call and got sent to the line. Uh, but here, you know, here and there to that. But I think having Mike Woodson out also was something that really dictated the game also. I mean, just it, it didn't seem like the substitutions were very well ran. Uh, there was kind of comments down at the, or at the end of the game after the, uh, 
the 25 to 30 players better in the draft. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing was, is, you know, Malik had his best game of the year and doesn't play in the entire second half. He had 10 points in the first half, was in better foul trouble, or wasn't in foul trouble, had one foul, was finally starting to defend. But uh, we kind of mentioned also TJD. Wow. I mean, he is flat out playing his rear end off on every aspect of the game. I mean, he's scoring at the offensive end. He came up with that huge uh, uh, cut through the lane that Race Thompson fed him to kind of take the lead. And then after that, Indiana kind of sealed the deal. But, I mean, even on the defensive end, he blocked shots. He dictated or changed shots. I mean, and I tell you, there was a couple times Minnesota hit, you know, hit some uh, threes or hit some jumpers that almost touched the rafters, I mean, over top of him. But, I mean, he just does so much to change other teams' uh, yeah. entire game plan. Yeah, and of his six blocks, speaking of Trace, um, I think four of them came down that final minute where Minnesota tried to get a layup and Trace was there to deny them. Jamison Battle, I think you mentioned him, 20 points for Minnesota, was really trying his hardest to, to pull off an upset here. Peyton, your thoughts on Indiana, because they did jump out to lead, should have won comfortably, blew the lead, and then within the last minute and a half, two minutes of the ball game, stepped up on the defensive end first and foremost and figured out the zone late with Trace and uh, was able to steal a win. Can we talk about – Cooley mentioned the last. Can we talk about that final possession? Well, I think Lace Thompson got fouled um, after TJD dropped it down low to him. and Because uh, Minnesota was up 57-56, and Lace Thompson, I think, got fouled. Um, he went to the free throw line. Made the first one, tied it up 57-57, missed the second one, and that's when I don't know how the fuck you let TJD, who only has like 20, you know, 21, 21 rebounds in this game, I don't know how the fuck you allow him to get that offensive board, because that's what got them the fucking lead. It was 57-57, Thompson misses, TJD gets the rebound, goes up, could have been an one by the way. Um, uh, yeah. Could have been an one goes up 59-57, and I, I looked at the replay, I seen. Uh, I was watching the post game uh, conference and shit, and Fox Sports was doing their little post game shit, and they was talking about it, like that's probably not a foul, not in the Big Ten. And I think it was close. I definitely seen contact, but uh, it's not something I would, you know, say it cost Minnesota the game or anything. But I think Minnesota had a chance to fucking win this game, put it away. They were up fucking like four points, I think. Indiana ended the game with like a seven oh one or something like that. Uh, I think IU played well, uh, especially in the second half. Once they started figuring out that zone, um, I three-point shooter was going to bite on the ass. He saw he needs to start hitting consistently from the three-point. Well, line. hold on. You, I was gonna, I, I was going to say, hold on. I was going to say, actually, they're 29th in the nation in three-point shooting. They're shooting 37.7%. What they don't do, and we've talked about this, is they don't take a lot of them. As far as point distribution, total percentage of the total, sorry, percentage of total points. Indiana is 321st in the nation in that aspect. Only 24.9% of their total points come from the three-point shot. So what that means is they don't shoot a lot of them, but they make a pretty good amount that they do shoot, if that makes sense. Um, I, I would like I to see it a little to, higher, but... Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I, and I do want to shout out, I mean, Miller Kopp in this game. I mean, he's gotten a lot of criticism late that he's not looking to shoot. He's not looking to take advantage of you know, opportunities, he came out, you know, had first, six out of the first 10 points for Indiana. I mean, and he continued to defend well. He had that, uh, that defensive rebound that he dove to the floor, got the timeout call right there at the end. That I mean, that kind of dictated the, the final last uh, little bit of the game as well for Indiana. I mean, he stepped up in a lot of different ways that, you know, we needed. And, 
I mean, he just continued to, you know, kind of solidify himself as a as a kind of a specialist and a leader on the floor. And I mean, he definitely definitely made the plays right there at the end. Corey, looking ahead real quick, Indiana, they've got two more games before the first mega Purdue game at home in Assembly Hall. This Saturday, they play host to a very struggling Ohio State team who went to Illinois the other night and took a loss. They are struggling. I think they've got eight or nine losses on the year. You have to, in my mind, you have to get that one, but you also got to understand Ohio State's going to be hungry and desperate for a win. Then you go on the road at Maryland on the 31st next Tuesday. What is your outlook prior to the Purdue game? Do you think Indiana needs both wins, obviously? Um, Just kind of real quick, because if they win, I'd put them on a six-game win streak, both of them, and put them at 16-6 and going into Purdue. Great spot, not only for the tournament, but for that elusive double buy we keep talking about in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, they're sitting in fifth place right now. I mean, behind a Northwestern, Michigan, uh, Purdue, and who's the last one? Um, Rutgers. Rutgers, yeah. And so, I mean, they absolutely need to take both of those. I mean, the high state game is at Assembly Hall, at the Assembly Hall. Sorry, let me rephrase that. Um, but I think, I, you know, I'm not as worried about that one as the Maryland game. I mean, Maryland and Indiana has been uh, some really good games, some really good matchups. I mean, all the way dating back to the uh, the national championship. And that one's going to be the really struggle. I just worry that, you know, um, I don't want us to, you know, go into that game and kind of start looking ahead to Saturday. I still would love to see us take care of, you know, take care of business and stuff. But I don't know. I don't know which one I want to be on. If I want to be riding a six-game win streak to be coming in to Purdue, or if I would rather drop that that one game right before and come back hungry and ready to, you know, ready to set ourselves back for a victory. So, uh, I've either never way, believe, I, I, I've never bought him. By the way, didn't mean to cut you off. I've never believed in that scenario where you hear some people like, "Oh, the coach needed they he wanted his team to take a loss because it refocused." Yeah. I'm sorry, but if you don't have the competitive drive to be yeah. hungry to win every game. What the hell are you doing? And this is across oh, all sports. I, I, I yeah. want to be on a six-game win streak if I was you. So fuck that yeah. losing shit. Um, yeah. let, let's start no. rounding this show out. Let's start rounding this show out. Let's turn our attention to Saturday. Real quick, the Big 12 SEC Challenge. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one, but Tennessee, Texas, we previewed it back on episode 131 on Sunday, fellas. Texas at Tennessee, We both, we, I think all three agreed it's going to be a defensive slugfest. Tennessee destroyed Georgia. They've been just whooping everybody's ass since Kentucky beat them. Texas, obviously, in a tougher conference in the Big 12. Has your thoughts changed at all from Sunday regarding this game? I still think uh, – I still am going to stick by my prediction. Um, you know, I think overall I'm still going to hold strong uh, with what I went on uh, with the Tennessee win. <clears throat> yeah, nothing's really changed for me. I still think Tennessee is going to hold, hold court and uh, defeat Texas. I just hope it's a better game than it was fucking last year. Last year, fuck it. I forgot who won, but I know it was like in the low 50s. Um, Texas wasn't, won last year. Texas won. It was 52-51, and it wasn't yeah, that it was, exciting of a game. It, so it was ugly. Better. And This one's going to be brutal, too. You already know it. But Tennessee, man, ever since that Kentucky loss, like I said, they've just been whooping up on fools. Um, let's let's turn, let's finish the show out, though, on the Kentucky-Kansas one. We did a better preview back on episode 131. Go check it out if you haven't listened to it yet. But now with Kansas on a three-game losing streak, Kentucky on a four-game win streak. Peyton, your one biggest concern now, after you've seen the Baylor game, 
going into Rupp Arena on Saturday. What concerns you the most as a Jayhawk fan? Oh, fucking hell. I mean, there's a lot of them. But if I had to nail it down to one thing, I kind of talked to you about it yesterday or Monday after Kansas lost to Baylor. It's a, it's going to be our fucking undersized front court. Um, if I'm Coach Cal, I have Oscar Sheboy touch the ball every fucking possession down the floor. Because our biggest problem that happened in that Baylor game, happened in the TCU game, happened in the Kansas State game. Our biggest problem is we're so undersized on our front court, and we're playing a team that has a dominant big man like an Oscar Sheboy, like an Eddie Lincoln. Number one rebounding team in the country. <clears throat> if we're playing a dominant big down low, we it draws so much attention because we're so undersized that we don't have a David McCormick, uh, we don't have a Landon Lucas to match up with them down low. Uh, so we have to bring so much attention down to the paint, and that's allowing the guys like LJ Cryer to go off in three-point line, and uh, that's why, that's the reason why we're not defending the three, by the way. I forgot what the stat was you mentioned last or Sunday, how much uh, the percentage of the teams are shooting against us from the three-point line, but I know it wasn't good for us. Um, at least, I think, 36% from the three-point line that it we get. It was something like 37, 38%. But that's the big reason why. Like, if we had a David McCormack, if we had a Lena Lucas, you, you know, Yudoka Azubuke, if we had someone who can match up with Oscar down low, one-on-one, that way we don't have to try to double-team him or focus so much on bringing so much attention down to the paint, and I think that three-point line, I think we'd be able to go on the three-point line a lot, a lot better. But that's my biggest concern is our front court. Yeah, uh, Corey, I think the consensus is that Oscar, whether Kentucky wins or loses, I think everybody expects Oscar to have a monster game, like another 2020 type ball game ball game here because I just like Peyton mentioned Kansas has nobody inside to me Kansas's guards have to dig down and help out they have to and you can't especially in this quote-unquote basketball Benny lineup with a lot of shooters out there you cannot leave CJ Frederick and Tony Reeves but you're going to pick your poison and uh KJ Adams is gonna have to figure out a way to defend Oscar without fouling which I don't know if it's possible enough for him we've seen him be in foul trouble before Ken Palm's even flipped. Remember last week we said Ken Palm had Kansas favored 72-70. After the loss to Baylor, it is now Kentucky winning 71-70. Uh, Corey, has your thoughts changed on this after watching Kansas go down three games in a row to Baylor? Yeah, no. I took uh, my bad beat bet was uh, was Kansas was going to win two games last week or this week, and I'm flipping. Uh, I think there's three key things. Uh, Monday showed that – you know, no matter if Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick can have an absolute phenomenal game between the two of them, Kansas just can't get the job done with anybody else. I think the overall size of uh, Kentucky down low with Oscar is going to be a dictating factor that you already mentioned that guys are going to have to cheat down. And Kentucky, if they continue playing with that lineup, is just getting to be dangerous. Um, so I think those three factors, I think, you know, I'm flipping from what I said, I'm going to take my, uh, my bad beat loss and I'm going, I'm going with Kentucky in this one. And I hate to say it as an Indiana fan. Well, you know, obviously the, the interior play is going to be huge, but I look for Bill Self to mix it up. I do. I look for him a triangle and two box and one, some kind of gimmick to slow Kentucky down. Kentucky on their side, have to take care of the ball have to hit shots still because it doesn't matter how good Oscar plays if you take if you turn the ball over and you don't hit shots because Kansas is still good enough to beat you regardless let's make no mistake about it and I do because there's this common theme year after year game after game that somebody an opposing player comes in Rupp Arena and goes off and I that's going to be either Jalen Wilson or Grady Dick you 
if you give them to one, you can't have both go off. But I think Kentucky has to take care of the basketball, hit some shots to really put pressure on Kansas, and hit your free throws down the stretch. I think Kentucky actually wins this game, which is crazy if you said two weeks ago that this would happen, but the flips have been script. Or the sorry, the scripts have been flipped in this uh, this movie here. I, I do look for Kansas if they win. Obviously, you're going to need Wilson. You're going to need Dick to play well and hit shots. But if Kansas wins this game and refereeing on Saturday evening, I do think that they need a guy like McCuller or Dewan Harris in particular to have a big game. And a big game could be 15 points, eight rebounds, a steal or two, a couple assists but they're going to have to have a big game to win. Hey, Peyton, defensively real quick, uh, Johnny, our friend Johnny and I have been talking about this matchup, analyzing it all week, just going back and forth. He asked me who I think Kentucky is going to have guard Jalen Wilson. And I think for the majority of the game, you're going to see Jacob Toppin on him. Uh, Who do you think matchup-wise, what do you think matchups for both ends are going to look like individuals? Oh shit! I think yeah, I think probably majority of the game Toppin's going to match up with Jalen Wilson, but it wouldn't shock me if fucking Toppin matches up a little bit with Grady Dick, because um, obviously Toppin's a lot bigger than Grady Dick. Grady Dick uh, going to the ball, going to the lane, he's not strong enough to hold a guy like Jacob Toppin off. So Jacob Toppin can obviously bully him. Uh, Toppin and Wilson, that's a little bit. Uh, it's not that terrible of a mismatch size-wise. So they're pretty close in size and statue. So, uh, but I think majority of the game, um, Toppin will guard, especially in the first half. He will guard um, Jalen Wilson. And I think I think we see Toppin on him, but I also think could see some matchups of um, I, I, Johnny mentioned. He thinks Kason Wallace will be on Dewan Harris. I don't think so as much. I think they're going to put Kason on um, on either Wilson or Dick for a better defender because if Dewan's not going to shoot, you don't got to guard him that much. Look, I'm just being real. So I think CJ Frederick guards him some, and you kind of match up around that. Peyton, real quick, on the Kansas end of things, who does a guy, because we know Kevin McCuller is a great defender in his own right. If you were Bill Self, who would you put Kevin McCuller on and who would you put Dewan Harris on? Uh, I'm putting Harris on, well, uh, fuck. Start the game, because obviously if they do that starting lineup they've been doing, I think Dewan Harris needs to guard um, Kaysen Wallace. Uh, but when Antonio Weaves comes off the bench, I think Dewan Harris needs to switch on Weaves immediately. I think Kevin McCullough needs to guard Frederick probably the whole game, shut his ass fucking down. Face um, guard. Face guard him the whole time. I think Dewan Harris needs to guard... <clears throat> start the game, he needs to guard um, Kaysen Wallace. Once Tony Weaves comes off the bench, he needs to guard Antonio Weaves. And if there is, if there's ever a lineup to where Antonio Weaves and Casey Wallace is not on the floor, and they just have Severe Wheeler with whoever the fuck they have on there, then I think he needs to guard Severe Wheeler because I think he can force him into a lot of turnovers so turn if he up, speeds yeah. his ass up. But I if Cal Smart, if Cal Smart. If you have Savio Wheel on the floor, you got to at least put Reeves or Frederick on there with them. You got to have at least one of them out there at all times. And here's what we're talking about all these matchups, fellas. Here's the thing the X factor, because he's been playing so good in this win streak that I think really hurts Kansas more than Oscar. As long as he plays like he has been, we're talking about all these mismatches or potential you know, matchups and switches. 
who the hell is going to guard Jacob Toppin? Because his mid-range and his ability to get to the dunker spot has been unbelievable. I think he's averaging like 17 and a half across the four-game win streak. I just, man, if the trends continue, I think Kansas is just at a mismatch on the defensive end right now. Offensively, they're going to score points. I think defensively, they're going to have to just battle their ass off and hope Kentucky uh, doesn't get a whole lot of offensive rebounds, which, again, Jacob's been averaging like nine and a half boards during this win streak. Corey, your thoughts on the mismatches and defensive struggles and all this shit before we get out of here? I just think it's a bad matchup for Kansas right now, just the way they're playing. I think the size of Kentucky, and I think, you know, Kentucky has the three-point shooting to really make them pay, I think. Uh, I think they're going to have to start collapsing yeah, down. Hey, they're going to start quick, helping out. Say that again louder for Mr. Tyler Hansborough, who, who uh, yeah, says Kentucky doesn't have any shooting. Meanwhile, Peyton mentioned they're shooting 38% from three. Say that no, again. I, I just for just one more time for the people in the back. I think uh, I think it's a bad matchup. Kentucky has the shooting that's going to make Kansas pay when they collapse down. I think overall this just isn't a good matchup for the way Kansas is playing right now. And I mean, I don't know if they have enough time to really get the you know everything flipped and figured out before Saturday. So I think uh, I think overall, like I said, Kentucky runs this one. Speaking of which, we all know the history when you see Kansas Kentucky. Match up together. There's something special and magical in there. Game day is going to be there. And Kansas last year, on the en route to winning the national title, passed Kentucky for the first time since 1996. There is a new leader in the clubhouse for all-time wins. During this Kentucky win streak and Kansas losing streak, the Cats have cut this lead down from eight games to four with a chance to get it within three for the remaining rest of the year. There's a lot to be played for. The Rupp Arena is going to be loud and proud. They're already saying stand for the first four minutes and the last four minutes of the game. They're wanting to make this a crazy environment, a la when UNC came in and it was 1v2 in 2011. And this place is going to be jumping. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7 p.m. for those in Central Time Zone, and 5 p.m. for those out West. Make sure you're tuning to ESPN. I think it's going to be the most watched college basketball game of the season to date. And it's going to be a fun one. Two big time legendary programs going head to head once more. Cannot wait. A lot of great basketball. The Big 12 SEC challenges this weekend. You got Indiana or, or Indiana, Ohio State. And tonight, Indiana, Ohio State on the women's side in a top 10 matchup. A lot of great college basketball coming at you. I hope you guys enjoyed this midweek special. Like I said, we're going to be doing two episodes a week from here on out up until the end of the season. Cannot wait for it. But until Sunday evening, where we'll find out the results of all these games, find out the results of the Royal Rumble and everything in between. Thank you guys for listening. Until episode 133 on Sunday, we hope you guys have a great rest of your work week, and we will catch you guys down the road.